This is episode 50 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is certified executive coach, Jackie Service. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for a milestone episode number 50. Uh, we made it. Um, it's been 18 months. It's been an incredible journey so far. I've talked with so many great individuals, um, folks that have been on the podcast and other folks that I've kind of networked. Um, you know, through the podcast. So it's been just an incredible run so far and excited to keep moving it forward with some great guests that are coming up. So I appreciate everyone for their honest and upfront feedback, uh, for listening in. Um, it, it just means the world to me because uh, it's really cool. It's something, you know, I've enjoyed doing kind of as a side hustle. Um, it's something I always wanted to do as I've shared in prior episodes. So it's just really neat to be able to, uh, you know, put out a product like this, um, folks liking it. Um, getting some value on it, and, and hopefully being motivated and inspired to live their most fulfilling life. So I certainly appreciate that. And I will make an ask. Uh, we're 50 in. Um, I'll be very direct on the ask. Head over to iTunes if you don't mind. Leave a review. Put a rating on there. Not only let me know how I'm doing, it's just going to help get this podcast out to more and more people that need to hear these messages that each of these guests are sharing about how they're kind of overcoming a lot of obstacles to, to live their most fulfilling life. So I certainly appreciate everyone can take just a few seconds out of their day, whether it's right now or after you listen to this episode, and just go ahead over to iTunes. Um, if, if there's another podcast platform like Spotify or something you're using, you know, please leave a review and rating on that as well. So uh, really appreciate it. Have a ton of gratitude. I'm just very thankful um, that there's a lot of folks out there that are, are getting value from this and and listening in and uh, certainly appreciate to build those relationships going forward. Okay, so let's jump into our episode today. Um, episode 50 um, is a introduction I got from a former guest, Christina LaCour um, of episode 24. Um, and she introduced me to Jackie Service, um, who is a certified executive coach. Um, Jackie's an awesome gal, um, has a great story that she shares, just how she used to be a competitor competitive swimmer, excuse me, um, and how she kind of, you know, got into corporate America and then had some life-changing events that have really taken her to what she's doing today. So it's a really neat episode. We get into a lot of different tangents. Um, so I, I'm appreciative of her taking some time out, sharing her story, and ultimately, you know, some insights that I think could help a lot of other people um, in their daily lives. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Jackie Service. Let's get it started. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you about your journey. And, um, and, and of course, I want to talk about kind of the, the personal coaching and, and those type of things that you're doing now. But as always, you know, it's, it's always curious to me just how just people, how they kind of get through life um, and do different things and how there's no really set path. And I think you would probably agree with that because if we look back, you know, 15, 20 years, you never would have thought you're doing personal coaching at that. Um, so I want to start back in kind of the the childhood years. Um, and I want you to talk a little bit because I, I think some of the things you did um, with the swimming 
and some of the things you, that you kind of were brought up with, I think that's really important to kind of how you've been structured and, and what have you. So can you start there a little bit, share with the, the listeners some of your story early on about kind of how athletics were a big part, um, and then we'll kind of span into some of your career and those type of things after. Love it. Absolutely. Happy to, happy to go back to the childhood and give a little bit of a look. And, and to your point, Brian, I think it just provides context. Right. I think hindsight's always 2020. Looking back on it, you can see how the puzzle piece is now starting to fit together. Um, but well, at the time, no. obviously. Yeah. And, and one of the things, too, and I think, you know, where you and I have caught up before in this and stuff, and, and we kind of run in some similar circles, is like the, the whole point that, you know, what you're doing today, you may not be doing it in five or 10 years, but some of those things you're doing today could impact you in terms of how you react to certain situations or, your demeanor or personality or whatever. So I think some of the things that you built from, you know, being a pretty competitive swimmer, um, yeah. you might be humble about it, but, you know, I, I think has really helped you. So yeah, I'm curious if you can share some of that early days of, of just kind of the swimming, that mentality that you had to have as a, as a child, um, as an adolescent, and then how that it's kind of helped propel you in your early career. And we'll, and we'll take it from there. Love it. Love it. And you're absolutely right. Like, I think if I look at chapter one, it was a life of Jackie service. It was really revolved around, you know, I say in quotes, but like high performance, right? And so specifically, as I look through the lens of swimming, um, so for context for everyone listening, I'm, I'm Canadian, and uh, you might hear that through uh, some of my speech as we talk, Brian. Um, but I started swimming at a very young age. I was always in the water. I, uh, summered in a beach town. So I was always known as a little fish and, and just was drawn to the water. But when I was about eight, I obviously started swimming at a higher level. And, um, you know, I started swimming at both provincial and then national level. So I swam for Canada high performance athlete and, and what comes with that, and especially at such kind of adolescent stage was so many positives, but yet there was also those underlying factors around, you know, always seeking external validation. And quite frankly, I talk about this a lot about those years, I was really striving, right? I wasn't thriving, thriving to different, you know, a different context than just striving. I was striving to be better than the next person. I was striving for the attention of whomever, um, seeking that external validation in a very competitive model. You know, obviously there was some foundational and fundamental pieces of operating at that level of athletics that have been really positive in my life. You know, structure, making sure that I'm disciplined, um, the whole aspect of team and connectedness with other people. Like there's so many wonderful, beautiful things about athletics, but at the same time, it really put me into a place of always kind of competing and not only just competing with the people in the lanes beside me, but really competing with myself. And, and can you talk a little bit about the, I, I'm more curious too, just on the, cause I, you, I know you didn't make it to the Olympics, but you went to the Olympic trials. That's pretty close, right? That's pretty close. So talk about just the, the mentality, like how you went through that. And maybe it's some stuff. I, I don't know if there's any best practices around, you know, how, how you structured time management or things. Do you remember back then, like 
was it pretty, you know, routine of, Hey, you know, you're in the pool at 5.00 AM and you're doing this and that, like, how did you guys structure that? So you can obviously be at your, the highest performance. Yeah, absolutely. I go back and I just think like I was in the pool more than I was anywhere else. And uh, so when I think about the actual structure, so when I get into like the performance of that world, let me take you on a day to day and break it down that way for you. So you're right up at 4.30, right? Jumping in the pool at five. If you were hitting the water at 5.01 from my coach's lens, you were late. So you were in the water by 5 a.m. And let me tell you, some mornings, it was the last thing you wanted to do was jump in a cold pool at 5 a.m. And, you know, generally there was, uh, you know, an hour and a half to two hour practice. Uh, you would go to school because those days I was, you know, grade school and then obviously into high school um, through my later days of swimming. You'd go to school and then right after school, I would generally take like my last, period in school, I would kind of push my courses to the front half of the day so that my last period was a spare so I could get back to the pool and, and hop back in at what I think probably about three o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of time spent physically in the pool, but also, you know, just from an athletic standpoint, there was a lot of dry land training. So there was how do you keep obviously physically fit? How do you keep mobility sharp? How do you keep your mind sharp? You know, I remember being eight, nine, 10 years old and, and really starting to excel and being kind of at that high level in my, um, in my province and having sports psychologists come in and speak with us. And so very quickly on and early on in my life, I saw that in order for me to perform at my best, in order for me to optimize this piece of my life, which quite frankly was my life at that stage, um, it's not just the physical, right? It's mind, body, you know, now soul kind of connectivity in order to really function at the highest level. Yeah, and that's great. I appreciate that insight there. And one other thing I want to ask, and this is more just, I'm assuming just by the, you know, the listeners, there's uh, some out there that have, you know, younger kids or obviously kids that are growing into their teens and what have you. What was it for you? So obviously you loved swimming, right? I'm assuming you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it at some point. Um, do you remember those early days? Like was, cause I know, I think we talked about this, you know, you kind of got burnt out or you fell out of love with it, obviously, as you, you got into your twenties, but what was it that at the beginning stage that you loved about it and kept you kind of pressing on? Was that just something kind of innate in you? You think, was it something that, I don't know what, maybe it was from, I know you, your dad was a football coach and stuff, having that around you that kind of kept you motivated. Do, do you recall that at all? Yeah, that's such a great question, Brian. I'm I'm putting myself back into the, you know, the the shoes of kind of early stages. I think early stages I started to show like I just had a love for the water. Right? I just literally had a love for the water and so I think that's where it really really started from a from a foundational standpoint. Um and then as I progressed, I think a lot of things were were inclusive of it. I had an extremely close relationship with my coach at the time. Um, she was phenomenal and kind of grew up with a cohort or a group of us that were excelling kind of all at the same time. And so there's this commitment and this relationship with somebody who's investing a ton of time back into you as well. 
um, almost like a, another parent, if you will. Um, and I'm sure people that have been in athletics have had those relationships with, with coaches in their, in their uh, past as well. And then, um, and then this, there, there, there was this driver, this um, want to continue to better myself. So in swimming, in the world of swimming, there are different benchmarks and it's all based on time. And so essentially, Brian, you hit the time, you go. Like that is, you, you know, you don't have to come first um, in some contexts you do, but um, in a lot of the times there's time standards. And so although there were aspects of swimming that were team oriented, whether that's relays or just quite frankly, like having that community and that support system, you know, at 5 a.m. when you're jumping in the pool, I have some of, you know, my closest friends from those days in my life. Um, but ultimately it was this drive to hit that next level and you could see it as clean, you know, as clear as day on a piece of paper. If you hit this time, you go to provincials. If you hit this time, you go to nationals. If you hit this time, you'll go to the trials. And so that creates this like sense of urgency or the sense of drive that's deep within you that gives you maybe a little bit more of the why you know, I'm up at five and I'm hopping in the water and I'm striving to make junior nationals. You know, I'm at provincials. I want to get to that next place. And this is what that means. I have to take a second or two seconds off my time. And, you know, I'm sure if you've ever watched swimming in the Olympics, like one hundredth of a second can make and break first and second place. You know, to, to be the difference maker in that one hundredth of a second, um, you know, can be monumental. It can be that extra push in practice. It could be that extra mobility. It could be that ice bath that you really didn't want to have. It could be getting your mind straight, right? Like having a conversation with one of the psychologists prior to getting on the block. So there's so many things that go into it, but there, it was this world that obviously uh, I spent the first chapter of my life very ingrained in. And so I want to talk about the other side of the coin. There's obviously the, the love, the passion for it. One of the things that happened a lot, I went through this when I, you know, um, got out of the golf industry, you know, as, as many know, I'm, I was a PJ professional and, and taught golf and stuff and, and got out of that industry. When you left swimming, and I think it was around 20, fact check me on that. Um, but what was the, and obviously that's a, a big step doing that, but what was the emotional? Because I think a lot of people, I think one of the things when I talk with individuals, they're, there's a lot of that fear or scared of like, hey, that's what I'm known as. That's my identity. How did you over, how did you achieve, I guess, getting out of that? Maybe maybe it took a while. I'm not sure. But I'm curious if you can talk about that a little bit and as you went to university and those type of things. Absolutely. I think you just hit it on the head there, right? Um, and I've talked to many athletes about this. So my brother was a, a Canadian football player. Um, a lot of uh, his close friends, went on to play in the professional league here in Canada and have, you know, we've had really raw and real conversations about that moment of transitioning and that moment of really being in identity transition. And because that is what I did, right? That's what I, that's in a way how I was labeled or what I was known for, for so many years of my life. And, and so you're right. It was, it was, late teens, but you're, you're right on when it comes to the timeline, um, right at the end of high school. And it was almost like decision time for me. Um, there was a few things that had happened, you know, missing a few benchmarks that I had been working so hard towards, 
Um, and then there was kind of these pivotal moments where I was recognizing my energy behind it was starting to come down at the same time that like other experiences were happening. Example being my coach who had literally grown up with me from the time I was eight until I was 16 was deciding to retire. So now it was about getting involved with, you know, a new coach and what was that going to look like? And did I really have the same desire that I had when I was eight to continue on in this world of swimming? The other thing that was, um, I think, kind of pivotal in my shift in mindset around swimming was because I was younger when I hit some of these benchmarks, I grew up with a cohort that was, you know, generally a few years older than I was. And so I was, you know, on the buses, on the planes with people who were a couple years older than I was. And so a lot of them had gone to the States, and that was a very typical thing for Canadians to do, um, was to go from, you know, the Canadian system into the NCAA system in the U.S. and to swim there. And obviously, you could have a career in that aspect as well. And I had seen so many of them go to big name schools to go swim. And two years later, they returned back home. They came back to Canada. And, you know, obviously everyone's story was different about why, and there wasn't necessarily a specific common theme behind that. But if anything, it just, um, it was just another signal or sign that maybe I had fallen out of love with it and maybe it was time to, to move on. Uh, that transition phase, you know, I think it was, I was already in transition going from high school to university. So I think it was just a massive amount of transition in general. Um, you know, but it was hard. It was difficult to watch other people that I had grown up with in the pool, then later make the Olympics, you know, or swim at the Olympics or continue to pursue that passion. When quite frankly, I, you know, I, I had found a place within me that I knew it was time to close that out. Um, I went on to go to university. My second sport, so a sport that I played all summer was tennis. Um, and so I had a little bit of a crutch because I went from swimming and then joined university and played on the varsity tennis team. So I still had a taste of that kind of athletic. Um, I still had that. I was able to bring that up athleticism, if you will, into my university career. And then again, my brother played um, university football. So just engulfed in kind of that like world of athletics. In a way, I wasn't necessarily like the number one athlete anymore, but I was still surrounded by people that had that mentality. So from there, I want to, because, because there's definitely some things I want to get to as, as we go along the journey here, but one of the things I want to take a pit stop at um, is obviously you, and I, and I, part of it, and tell me if you agree with this, but part of that, I guess the mentality, um, obviously being in, in swimming and even tennis, you know, you went to work for Pepsi and you kind of moved up pretty quickly there. I think you're a VP, like in your late twenties, um, doesn't happen all the time like that. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit, because I want to take a, a pit stop there of just how you progress so quickly. What were some of the things? And again, maybe it's different things you did from a mindset standpoint. Maybe it's daily routines or activities. Do you remember back then how you progressed or some of the things you did um, that was helpful for you to continue to kind of move up that corporate ladder, if you will? Yeah. That's, and I think, again, I, you know, if I look at it from an internal standpoint, there are so many wonderful things about that stage in my life, but I just go back to 
Brian, I was striving. Like I was looking for the answers outside of myself during this, during this chapter of my life versus getting really in tune with, with who I am and, and what I want and having that clarity. Um, but my corporate career in a lot of ways set me up for, to your point, set me up for kind of success today. And so there were many things about my career that um, allowed me to be successful. Um, number one was the people I surrounded myself with. You know, I had phenomenal mentors. I worked with the best leaders, the best people who believed in me, who put a lot of responsibility in my hands really early. And um, in a way, you know, allowed me to kind of quote unquote, prove myself, you know, to them um, with, with a lot of different responsibilities. Um, I think a lot of the background in athletics really supported me in that culture. I was motivated. I was, you know, in some aspects, like I'm sure people would say like head down, right? I was motivated. I was head down. I was doing good work. I was connecting with the right people and, um, and progressing, uh, progressing very quickly through that, through that environment. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I still look back on those days and it was like, um, almost like I had blinders on to like what else was happening outside of the world of Jackie because I was so motivated to to get to that top, right? It's almost like think about the same parallel back to swimming, right? You tell me I have to do X. When I do X, I can get I can get Y. Now you tell me I have to hit that benchmark. When I get there, I can get to the next thing. So that's what I mean when I say the word strive. Right, I was always looking for what's next, what's better, what's what's the bigger title, what's the next thing, quote unquote, and continue to take that mentality into corporate, which served me in so many different ways. Um, you know, there's so many parallels when you actually like play out those two stories. It's 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 pretty impactful when I'm just speaking about it because I've never really done it in this context. So I, I love that you're taking me on this journey with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reminiscing a little bit. Um, and I'm curious too, like, what are your thoughts on, because one, and that's, I mean, people that are striving for things and always looking, you know, I mean, I, I try to do that at times, and I'm sure you do and others. But is there a, a part where there could be a detriment to you if you're only like, you know, you're never satisfied with taking almost taking you know kind of a, a break and smelling the roses at times, which I think sometimes is important um, to just kind of let and say, Hey, I, and that, that gratitude of like where I am and what I've had the opportunity for. And it's okay if you're pressing forward. I'm just curious your thoughts on that, uh, of maybe your experience that you went through and, and maybe how you coach today. Is that part of it as well to make people understand that or? I mean, that is absolutely a part of my life today. Um, I would be lying to if I said that I 100% knew that back then, because uh, I had to go through my own path and my own journey to really find that. And um, maybe if I take you down that path a little bit, you know, as I was climbing this corporate ladder, kind of head down and, and really striving for that next thing, I didn't really take time out. I didn't really listen to what my kind of intuition or inner guidance was saying. You know, if I was tired, it was like push through again. Right. It was always about that next that next evolution. It was always about, you know, continuing to get to that next stage, whether that was career, um, you know, or even like relationships in life, et cetera. And so 
for me, my journey really shifted. And I talk about chapter one, like kind of that version of my life, um, which was in a way very like programmed, or I use the word conditioned behind high performance, behind a striving mentality, behind my worth was tied up in what I did. So my worth was tied up in being a high performance swimmer. My worth was tied up in, you know, being a varsity athlete. My worth was tied up in thriving and, you know, obviously like moving up the corporate ladder. And it was almost as if I was seeking that external so much that I lost the internal voice of who I really am. And so my, my journey took a shift and my journey took a change. And for me, um, this, I have so much gratitude for this moment now, but obviously at the time it was, it was extremely dark and um, came like a brick wall. I literally call this my brick wall moment, which other people will use the term like, hey, I hit rock bottom or, you know, that was, you know, a really difficult year in my life. Like this came on <laughs> hard and heavy real quick. So it was almost like I was full out running and right into a brick wall and it, you know, definitely knocked me on my, on my ass. Um, and so to give you a little bit of that context, it was, it was my physical body that started to break down. So how it manifested in me was um, I went through this journey of about a year of recognizing that I wasn't feeling totally sharp, a little foggy, some other things were happening in my physical body. And I went through a year of processing with doctors and trying to figure out what was going on. And then I remember the day. It was October 12th, um, sorry, October 25th, 2012. Um, and I walked into the doctor's office and I knew so quickly that there was about to be some difficult news that was going to be shared. There's, um, if you've ever been in that environment before, there's just an energy, you know, there's just a different feel. And the doctor looked at me as I sat down that day and he said, Jackie, you know, we've found a brain tumor. You have a brain tumor. And for any, you know, 26-year-old female who had been, you know, from the external view, just, you know, doing amazing things in life, you know, I would always get that comment from people, you know, that I was doing so well in business, that I, you know, had great relationships, that, like, life looked really good from the outside in. Um, you know, it was the first time that I was kind of knocked on my tail to really take an internal look, to really start to understand, you know, who am I and what am I here for and what's my purpose? And it quickly moved me from a place of focused on the external, focused on striving to like almost an immediate reaction to start to go the other way. And so it was almost like a pendulum swing, right? People in my life were like, whoa, what happened to you? Because it was a shift so quickly. But I believe I needed that wake-up call. I believe that there was probably other uh, signs along the way that just did not hit me because I was so head down and focused. And so now as I look at how that's played into my life and who I've become, I have 
so much gratitude for that moment. And I have so much gratitude for what that experience has led me on in terms of an inner working journey. Yeah, it's quite a tough thing to go through. Um, you know, and I know people go through a variety of different uh, challenges throughout their life. Um, how did you, and, and again, I guess maybe I'm going to phrase it the way that from a coaching aspect is where would you give guidance to people that maybe are in a similar position to you? They're head down they're whether they're thinking about their, their health or what have you, um, and they're just head down trying to, again, strive, how would you get them to, I guess, rethink or find time to look at that inner self? Are, are there certain practices they can do? Is it, was it books you read that were helpful to get you along your way? How, how did you kind of find that? Yeah, and it was definitely, it was definitely a journey. And, and quite frankly, as I look at today, Brian, it's what I'm dedicating my life to right? It's, it's, I believe that we can have wake up calls and we can maybe learn through others experiences, or we can start some proactive habits versus having to hit the brick wall. Some people need the brick wall. I'm not going to lie, but you know, not everyone does. So, um, you know, how do I actually support those people through those kind of lower moments in life to really start to reframe it as a way to optimize um, and for me personally, so let me give you like a lens. It was dark for a while. I think for me to sit here and say like, you know, oh, it just happened in a minute and I swung around and here I am today uh, would be a downright lie. <laughs> um, and so I won't tell you that. It took a significant amount of work and effort to dissect and start to understand self. And so I read, literally, if you look behind me, I have... I think every book from the self-help section, um, I read every book and it was almost like books were falling off the shelf. I allowed kind of, as I got, uh, as I got into that world of self-development and inner development, I allowed kind of one thing to lead to the other. And that's, that's what a lot of people find is there's almost this like spontaneity, like spontaneity about it where you get introduced to somebody who knows somebody else, who introduces you to somebody else, quite frankly, it's exactly how you and I met, Brian. <laughs> um, it's really interesting and unique to watch how that starts to unfold when you put your effort and your focus in a new area. And um, so I got really heavily involved, not just in the personal development world, but I also got involved in two other worlds that are very profound in who I am today. One was, I use the word spirituality, but it was really more about understanding other practices globally, specifically Eastern medicine practices that might actually be able to help me internalize and focus on the healing process that I was going to not only mentally, but physically. And what that, what that world taught me and what the most profound thing is that came out of that, not only was I having healing efforts through some of the work that I was doing, but I worked with a specific coach and that coach started to talk to me a lot about the word disease. So for lack of a better term, you could say that my tumor was disease in my body. And she would have me break down the word and we would talk about what that word actually meant. And when you actually break that word down, it actually says dis-ease. Said differently, I'm uncomfortable with what's going on. You know, there's this dis-ease within me that's now manifested physically. 
And when I can start to shift my own perspective of like going from the victim mentality of, you know, oh, this is what's happened to me versus this is a part of, you know, my story and it's here to help me get back on track and that's all it's for, the physical ailment actually started to dissipate. dissipate. So the more I got in tune with myself, I was actually physically seen in the medical structure, like through my MRIs, that the tumor was shrinking. And so as I became more comfortable or when I started to work through that dis-ease, I actually started to see the physical ailment start to dissipate as well, which was only continued to motivate me to go down that road more of like, wow, this seems to be working and what else is available to me? So that was definitely one piece of the pie. So like personal development, this whole space of spirituality. And then the other side of who I am and what I bring um, a lot of the time to my coaching that's um, a bit, you know, that's definitely starting to get more traction in today is the whole world of neuroscience, the whole world of like epigenetics. And I just became, quite frankly, the, the tumor was in my head. Um, and so I then became very interested in, well, how does the brain work? And, you know, where specifically is this in my head? And what, is, what could that look like? And I started to um, really connect to the teachings of a man named Dr. Joe Dispenza. And his whole philosophy is like, you know, our thoughts are going to lead to similar behaviors, which are going to lead to similar results in our life. And so his whole hypothesis was like, what if we change the thoughts? Could we fire and wire new circuitry in our brain and actually create a new reality for ourselves out of doing some work specifically in the, in the space of like neuroscience and epigenetics? But the interesting thing is he like demystified this world of spirituality for me. So he actually uses exercises like meditation and breathing, which are generally found in that yoga or spiritual space. And he brought them into the science and showed that they were actually serving the purpose um, on brain scans and on all sorts of different scans that he does. And so there was multiple, you know, contributing factors that led to this place that I am today. Um, you know, and, and what I would say to somebody that's maybe going on it now is, there are so many different practices and it's, and it's going to be about actually hearing and seeing and connecting to what's resonant with you. You know, cause my journey is not going to be the same journey as the next person. And so it's about that person starting to navigate their own inner guidance, their own inner wisdom. And there's, there are so many practices that I could talk about, um, but I'll connect back in with you and see if there's a direction we want to go. No, that's good. I, I like to go on a lot of tangents anyways. I was going to actually ask about uh, meditation. Do you, do you do that consistently now? Do you do it in the morning, evening? What's kind of your kind of routine around that? So I, um, I have had, I'm going to be real, I've had a love-hate relationship with meditation, um, maybe because my brain fire and wires so quickly all the time, um, but it is needed in my life. And I believe that we can find meditative states in a lot of, a lot of different ways. That's just my belief. Um, and so I do sit and meditate. I specifically use a lot of guided meditations if I'm going to do that. I have been able to sit and just kind of listen to my thoughts as well. Um, but truly, I find I get to the deepest levels when I'm doing a guided meditation. Like from Dr. Joe, he, he has some phenomenal ones that take you on a little bit of a longer journey than just your quick five minutes. 
Um, I personally find I get meditative when I journal. So I free flow write. I, um, you know, sometimes it can feel a little woo-woo to people, but I feel like sometimes literally my hand is just writing and I don't even know what's coming out. And that is a very meditative and healing process for me. And other people who I have had the chance to work with, you know, they get meditative or in that like zone when they run, right? That's when they like just are able to turn off their brain. And um, maybe if I can just quickly touch on that, because I think, you know, being in the zone is something that we talk about a lot in athletics. You probably know what I'm talking about from your days in golf. Um, and what actually happens in the brain is think about, think about your brain and think about like, I always say like thousands of ping pong balls, just like going all over the place, right? Like neurons are firing and wiring, you know, oftentimes that's the time where we're overthinking. Maybe we have anxiety and stress and all this stuff is coming up for us. And that's like, we are very focused on the head energy when we get into those states. When we get into meditative states or when we get into like the zone from an athletics point of view, what we're physically doing in the brain is we're actually, we're slowing down. So actually one of the things I talk to, talk to uh, my clients a lot about is that there's power in the pause. There's power when we slow down. Because what happens to our brain is as we physically force ourselves to slow down, through breath and through exercises, like um, whether it's we're in the zone in an athletic state or journaling, or people love yoga, um, something that people get to that place a lot um, in that space, is we're taking that like thousand ping pong balls that are going all over the place, we're slowing them down, and we're pulling them to our prefrontal cortex. And that prefrontal cortex, so like right at your forehead, in a spiritual term, your third eye, but when we kind of pull ourselves towards that front of our head, it's actually, that is our creative hub. That is our hub where we get into those feelings like the zone. That is like white space where innovation comes from a business standpoint, where athletes are just like dialed in and you don't understand what's happening, but they're so in that engulfed in that zone where you see massive breakthroughs on brain scans through Dr. Joe's work, like that is where transformation happens. And it's almost like moving from the head space to the heart space. We're connecting back to who we really are. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. I can, I can talk about this, this stuff all day because it's really uh, <laughs> just how, again, it's just one of those things, how it takes it out of what the, I'll kind of use the society norms of like everyone just kind of running through life each and every day. And I think sitting and pausing and think about some of this stuff, as you mentioned, and, and you're talking about Dr. Joe and stuff, how you can ultimately maybe your thought process can really change a lot of things that you're not even thinking about um, in terms of how your body works and, um, and obviously longevity and those type of things. So it's, it's just fascinating. Um, let me ask you this. I, this actually will kind of part of it, maybe not, but, um, I saw this. I had a note here. I want to make sure I answer um, or ask it. Tell me about your digital detox. How did that how did that go? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, so I, I, I love that you're bringing up the world of digital detox because I think it takes us to that same place that we were just talking about. So um, I don't know about you, but most days my phone's with me at all times. 
Um, and I was noticing, quite frankly, in my own personal self that I was having like maybe higher levels of usage. I was scrolling and wasting time. I was, you know, sometimes a little bit anxious um, if I didn't know where my phone was. And so there was some of these like different red flags going off for me. And so I started to add a practice into my like daily routine where my phone does not get turned on until I complete my morning routine. And I actually physically power down my phone at night. I know just by saying that, Brian, people are like, how could you do that? That's your alarm or what if somebody needed you? Um, but I will actually physically power down my phone at night. And I have an alarm clock now. Yeah, like old school digital alarm clock. Um, but by doing that, what I was noticing physically is like, literally, I felt weight come off my body. Like I was feeling like, okay, huh, I can slow down for the night. I can let go because I'm not going to pop on one of my social media sites and somebody's going to need me or somebody has a question for me. Um, and so it was really more conscious choice of like serving self. Um, but I did, so I did a digital detox 48 hours, um, two week three weekends ago and, and did just that. I turned it off for a complete 48 hours and there was some, you know, I had some, you know, kind of big lessons learned through that. But one of the things that I hear a lot of the times from, um, from just humans, anyone really is, you know, oh, I don't have enough time. You know, oh, there's, you know, definitely not enough time to do that. And when you don't have your phone on and you don't have that impulse gut reaction, just reach for your phone when there's a moment of silence, which so many of us do, literally go to a grocery store and watch people. If like somebody looks at them, they look down at their phone. If they're waiting in line and, you know, they have a few minutes, they're looking at their phone. Um, it's just really fascinating to start to look at how we use our phones today and how much they become a part of who we are and how we operate in this world. Um, but that was the biggest thing is I freed up so much time. When I had my phone away, it was like I was different in my conversations with my husband. I was different in my presence with my kids. I found more time for things that I wanted to do, like move my body. Um, like journal, like get into creative spaces on my business. Um, it shifted things so, so drastically for me. And it's a practice that I am going to carry through every quarter for this year. And I'm going to let people know the next time I'm doing it. Because if anyone is interested, if this resonates with you and you've always wanted to do it, but you're afraid and you don't know exactly how, I'm coming out with like a five steps to optimize your digital detox. So you actually set yourself up to take away and alleviate some of that fear of actually turning it off. Yeah. It's something I, um, the reason it was, it, it kind of, you know, raised my eyebrow because I actually wrote an article, gosh, it's probably been three years now about, you know, putting your phone in timeout. And mm. I, I've even noticed though, recently, like in probably in the last year, year and a half, I haven't done that as well. I've been exactly what you've, you know, what you were saying there were phones always on me, always checking, you know, Instagram or doing whatever. And it's something that I got to get more conscious of. So I, I'm up for the challenge. Uh, you let me know. But it's something too, I've been thinking about like, even on a weekend, like, hey, how can I on a, on a Sunday, just put the phone away the whole day. Um, so I think there's opportunities. And again, it's, 
it's really as simple as just doing it. And, and that's the whole, I mean, the mm. whole just get started type thing, right? It's really that simple. Like it's not like you don't have to have time for it. There isn't, it's not the right moment. It's just, Hey, I'm going to put my phone away and I'm going to enjoy life a little bit. And we have it in pockets, but I, yeah, I think having a little bit bigger chunk, um, something obviously encourage everyone. And, and like I said, something I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. I'll report back. Um, maybe I'll share out Love uh, it. after I get back on the phone, I'll share back on, on, on the social sites, uh, how it went and uh, maybe do a little write up on it. So and I appreciate you giving that uh, insight to it. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Let us know. I'll, I'll share some of it um, when you do this kind of five, uh, the five step process there. Um, Love it. I want to ask you a couple more things. One, I'm just, I'm just curious. And if you've touched on it a little bit, then maybe go in depth, obviously you're doing personal coaching now. Why was it important for you? You could have done a variety of things, right? You, you could have done a million different things. Um, when you left the corporate world, why personal coaching? Why was that kind of your calling? Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, I've had so many people tell me since I've fully owned and embraced this kind of new, this new quote unquote chapter, this new identity of self. Oh yeah. You know, I always saw you as a coach. Oh yeah. You were always, you always coached me. Like we always had these deep and real conversations in life. And so it's interesting that you ask, Ryan, because I think innately there's always been a piece of that in me. So there's always been a piece of like wanting to have conversations that are much deeper than surface level, wanting to ask questions that maybe aren't being asked, but should, you know, wanting to hold space for people to feel like it's okay to come and have those conversations with me. You know, quite frankly, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm also the person that sometimes pushes you when you don't want to be pushed right, or called BS when you don't want to hear BS. And so there's these like interesting, as I went through this personal journey, I was realizing that these were just a part of who I was. And when I started to remove these layers of conditioning and programming of what I thought I needed to be in the world, and I connected to who I actually was and how I wanted to show up, all of these kept coming flooding in. You know, little pieces of feedback, little tidbits from different people, you know, go back and read my journals and I would read what I was saying. Like my passion in life is to wake people up to what their potential is. My passion in life is to be able to have people live a life that is so inspired and that they're living their best because when they're living their best, think about the ripple effect that they're causing in the world, right? It doesn't just impact that one person. It impacts all the people that they touch. And so if I have an overall mission of like, raising global consciousness or waking people up to what's possible for them, then, um, you know, that's really my truth when I get down to the root of it. It's about really finding clarity for humans about what's possible for them through a series of different practices and waking them up to what's possible. And so I guess to kind of come back around and answer your question fully, it, I think it was always innate in a piece of me. And I think I needed to uncover and remember that piece of me. And then it almost felt like there was no other, there was no other option. This was the way, this was my truth. This was my purpose. And as soon as I dialed into that, again, it was like, you know, spontaneity. I get to meet people like you. We get to have conversations like this. Like what a gift that is to be able to share our insights and wisdom with the world. Um, and in fact, I just listened to your podcast episode, all about vulnerability, 
And for me, that sparked this like interest in wanting to be vulnerable with you here today. You know, I think as we open up and we speak our truth and we just are able to authentically live in our power, we're able to impact so many more people. Yeah, I, I, again, I couldn't agree uh, more with that because I, I think everyone, we kind of put ourselves in this box and like, you know, hey, this is the, this is my path. This is what I need to be on. And you feel like you have to do certain things. And the, the big thing for me, at least I can speak personally, is once you get out of that and once you mm -hmm. kind of, you know, kind of break through, I, I, I kind of talk about, I can't remember exactly how I worded it in there, but, you know, kind of breaking out of that cage, if you will, um, but and becoming vulnerable and opening up, it's just this it's just this freedom. Um, and it's pretty amazing mm -hmm. to have that feeling. And I wish everyone has that opportunity, but I think a lot of folks are, there's that, you know, and that's probably why I do this, right. To, to have folks like yourself on and, and to share these stories, like it's okay to be scared. It's okay to have fear. Um, it's always, you know, what's on the other side of fear is where that the success comes from is, is, you know, the quote goes. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. appreciate that. And, um, and one of the things I wanted to ask, I guess, last, and this will be helpful, you know, it, take this in whatever tangent you want, but I'm just curious from a, I don't know if it's a quote or two you live by, or maybe it's advice, you know, like, like you always like to share a certain thing that's maybe important to you, but what is something you would share with the listeners is whether that's to get them motivated today to go out and do something or just in general kind of life practices, what advice or quote or something that you would kind of uh, just to kind of energize them, jack them up a little bit, get them all you know, uh, excited, um, that you would share with them. Mm. What's coming up for me right now, Brian, is like, there is always a choice. So, you know, we so often put ourselves in these boxes, like you said, or we, I say we should all over ourselves, like, oh, I should do that. And I should do this. And I should be this person for that person. And, you know, we're constantly, I think, seeking and looking externally to self outside of self, excuse me. And I just go back to like, we always have choice. We have choice to see the situation that's happening in front of us differently. We have choice about who we surround ourselves with. We have choice about our professions and what we wanna do. You are not your title. You are not your profession. You can choose differently. That was something I needed to hear so profoundly when I was making that choice to leave. And so if there's something that's not like fully functioning or fully operating for you and you're trying to navigate that, you're feeling stuck, that's when you have to start to come back to self. You know, ask for help, reach out for help, you know, figure out if there's somebody that's in a space that can help you, you know, or on the flip side, it may be time for you to have a season of quiet, right? A season to reflect, a season to figure out who you are. So you really have to start to navigate and follow that intuition and trust where you're being pulled and guided to not putting the lens on, oh, I should. And um, there's a quote that I live by. It comes from a more spiritual element. And so I'll just preface that, but it's by Marianne Williamson. Um, and Return to Love is a book that I literally go back to and read yearly. But the quote goes, it's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And so why that speaks to me is, as I continue to lead by example, as I continue to shine my light or live in my truth, I'm watching other people 
who are literally coming out of the woodwork, stepping into their own truth. And I had people that obviously led the way for me and I hope to lead the way for others, but it's about the, the common, it's about the ripple effect that that can have when each of us makes a choice. And that has been the most profound thing for myself. That's fabulous. That is some really good, uh, good insight and advice there. Um, where can everyone find you online? You can find me literally at Jackie Service across all platforms. Um, honestly, Brian, I hang out a ton on Instagram. So if there's somebody that is connected with the story, um, send me a DM. I, res I respond to all of them. So I'm happy to connect with you that way. Um, my website is JackieService.com as well. Um, and I love human connection. So if, again, there's something in this story that just connected with you and you want to reach out and, and kind of discuss further, um, that is my passion. So so please do that. Yeah, this has been really awesome. I'm I'm so uh, so thrilled you're able to come on and, and chat a little bit and, and really share your whole journey. I know we talked about a variety of different stuff, so um, which is always fun. So uh, thank you again for taking time out of your day. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share. And you're right, we went in a couple different tangents, so hopefully we'll be able to connect with people in different places in their life. Um, but thank you, very grateful for this opportunity. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode or have been enjoying others along the way. Um, and if you don't mind, it'll really mean a lot if you guys head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, give me a rating on there. Um, I certainly appreciate that feedback to make this podcast better each and every episode. Um, and please connect with me online. Instagram's probably the best, um, at Brian Andreco. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O. Or go ahead and check out my website, brianandreco.com. That's where I house a ton of random crap like the podcast and my CrossFit journey and a variety of other blog articles. Um, and sign up for my newsletter. Be sending a little bit of uh, inspiration each and every week that uh, may be useful for you. So I certainly appreciate guys listening in. Thanks again. I hope you have a phenomenal week, and we'll talk soon.